If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 2. We started a series last week called No More Wagons, and Brother Williams has done an absolutely incredible job, absolute incredible job he did, and uh, he talked about that we've got to carry, and we'll get, we'll get to numbers, and I'll mention it briefly, but you've got to carry, it's got to be personal, you've got to put your relationship with the Lord on your shoulders. You've got to carry it. You can't drag it in a wagon. You've got to carry it. Today we're going to get into something a little bit different. Mark chapter 2, Jesus returned to Capernaum again. And once the people discovered the place where he taught God's word, it grew so full that you couldn't even get in the door. You couldn't even peek in the window. There were so many people there. Four men, though, had a friend that was paralyzed. And they decided, when they heard that Jesus was in Capernaum again, they decided, whatever we got to do, we've got to get our friend to Jesus. Jesus is the only hope he has to ever being healed of the condition that he's in. So they show up at the house to bring a friend who couldn't get there on his own. The problem was they couldn't approach Jesus because of the crowd. You know what blows my mind about this? Is sermon listeners... We're actually blocking people from having access to Jesus. When I come listen to a service on Sunday and I show up to the house of God, I don't want to block people from Jesus. I want to let them get to Jesus. Undaunted, the man's four friends carried him to the roof of the house. Back in those days, they, they built the roofs flat. And uh, they had staircases that you can ascend to that flat top roof. And they went on the roof. And they tore off the roof, and they lowered the man down through the opening in the roof. Now, if I'm the homeowner, I'm mad. <laughs> like, like, literally, y'all tore off my roof to get somebody to Jesus. But I love what the Bible says. It said that Jesus looked up, and it says he saw the faith of those four men. Hey, when you can't find faith, I hope that I can carry you and Jesus say, you know what? And if I... If I don't have any faith, I hope you carry me. And Jesus say, you know what? I saw their faith. You was, in, you was in a bad place. You didn't have enough faith to get through, but I saw their faith. He forgives the man of his sins. And then we pick it up in verses 11 through 12. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way to thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all. And so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Which leads me to part two of no more wagons. Not alone. Not alone. You're not alone today. You may feel like it. That's a lie of the enemy. You're not alone. Look around this building. There are people that will help carry you when you're down. But let me ask you a question. Are you willing to carry others when they're down? When you're weak, I'll be strong. But when I'm weak, I need you to be strong. We're not alone. We're in this together. We're in this together. God, we need you today. I need your anointing. I need your power. Help me to preach to these great people your word. God, not mine word. 
Help us to leave here empowered by your spirit, knowing that we've got to carry others when they need to be carried, God. We're linked up arm in arm, one heartbeat for your kingdom to see souls added and people discipled. In Jesus' name we pray. Someone shout amen. Give the Lord one more hand clap of praise and you may be seated this morning. Centuries ago in Europe, a wealthy nobleman decided to build a church for the mountain village that he had grown up in. Everybody in the village was excited. However, no one was permitted to see the plans or the inside of the building until it was finished. Then, finally, the day arrived and people gathered on Sunday to marvel at the beauty of the new building. But when they went inside, they realized that there were no lamps for light. So somebody that gathered in shouted out, hey, where's the lamps at? It's dark. It's dark in here. We can't see very well. To which the nobleman pointed to a line of brackets along the walls. And then he gave each of the families a lamp. And this is what he said. Bring your lamps each time you come to worship. And he explained, each time you are here, the place where you're seated will have light. But every time you're not here, the place where you sit will be in darkness. Whenever you fail to gather, some part of the building will be dark. This story proves our value in the kingdom of God. Your seat is more than just a seat. Your seat is a place to where you bring a lamp every Sunday to somebody beside you who may be in a place of darkness. And if we don't gather and show up to the house of God and we take this for granted, then, then what if we're the key for somebody to get out of their condition and get out of their personal prison, but we take for granted the lamp that we bring to church? And what if God sent someone who needed today? They needed you. They needed you to be here with your lamp and your light. But you came today and you you like, know what? I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm not really going to do anything. I'm not going to greet anybody. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I had a bad week. It's not going very well. You know what the elders used to tell me when I was younger? When I was younger, because now I'm old, of course. I was young. Now I'm old. feel like I'm getting old. Not old as Brother Ralph, but I'm getting there. I'm close to it. <laughs> My bad, Brother Ralph. That wisdom. He sent me a story today I wish I could have put in this message. But the elders used to say, you never know when you have the key to the service. So your worship matters during the service. What if I don't have the key to get somebody out of their personal prison today, but God equipped you with the key to get the person sitting next to you out of the condition they're in? What if your worship unlocks their prison cell that gets them to a place of victory and dominion and authority? What if your response to the word of God... Come on, somebody's waiting on you to shine your light. Somebody's waiting on you to get in touch with Jesus. Somebody's waiting on you to break out of your comfort and say, I know you need something from the Lord. Your smile is unique to you. Not everybody has a smile like you. I I can't smile like you. It's unique to you. Your worship is unique to you. The way that you greet people is unique to you. And God has equipped you to get people out of certain situations that I may never, ever be able to get them out of. So this is what I want you to do. Look at your neighbor and tell them you matter. We got to get that this morning. In 2022, in the United States of America, there are a lot of places that have made the church only about the preacher and his personality and his his preaching style, that's not the will of God. We are a body of believers. You are just as valuable as I am in the kingdom of God. You are just as important to the body. If you're not here, 
What are we doing today? You're here and it matters because you have a key and a connection with somebody. And when you smile and say, how you doing? You don't even know what you're doing in the life of that individual. My objective today is to remind us that we weren't meant to carry this burden alone. We need each other. Paul Tripp says in his books, book, Whiter Than Snow, we weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon God and in a loving and humble interdependency with others. Our lives were designed to be community projects. Yet, the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when the people around us point out our weakness or our wrong. We hold on to our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources of God. And before we know it, we find ourselves isolated and alone. Billy Graham said that loneliness plagues more people than any other single problem. Many doctors say it is the primary sickness of our time. One doctor went so far to say 99 out of 100 individuals are lonely. Proving that you can be here today and still be lonely. You can be in a group of 300 people and still feel like you don't matter and that nobody cares. Preacher, that don't happen in the church. It absolutely does. I recently read an article that stated in the church we are seeing a sense of individualism and disconnection. Many people are dating churches, never staying in one place very long. While some may stake a claim on a church but remain distant and on the margins, attending only when something better isn't going on. And then there are those who may indeed have a committed relationship with a church, but they're not all in. They aren't fully known by their community. They don't rely on the body when they are struggling or in need. Instead, they wear a mask. Covering their lives' pain, pretending that everything's okay even though it's not. Please hear me clearly today. Individualism and doing life on your own is not a part of God's plan. He doesn't want you to struggle by yourself. You need somebody to get down where you're at and help get you to a place where you're safe. The Bible is very clear about people needing each other. And I've even heard people say, man, all I need is God. That's all I need. Me and God, we got it. That don't make any sense to me. I don't even know if my English is correct. That does not make any sense to me. Because after God made creation, he created Adam. And what did he say? He looked at Adam and said, Adam, hey, it's me and you, old boy. Adam said, God, that ain't good enough. (laughs) He says, you know what? It is not good. That man should be alone. Let me make a helpmate for him. Let me make somebody that he could share life with. That he can communicate with. That when he's tired and weary, they can help him. And then God declared in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toll. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. It's dangerous to be by yourself. When he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone. Two will withstand him. In other words, what something may be prevailing against you, but if you get linked up with the right person, what has been destroying you will no longer destroy you. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I want to link up with some people because I don't want to be torn down by the same things over and over and over. We need each other. The word tells us that Satan is a roaring lion. It doesn't say it, it doesn't say he's like, it says he's like a roaring lion. 
It doesn't say he is a lion, but he's like a roaring lion. You know how you got those friends? You know they can't fight, but they talk like they can. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You say something else, you're going to put your hands, and you look at them like, there is no way. <laughs> never even see you throw those hands. <laughs> I've never even seen it. What is this marvel? <laughs> you're going to do. You do all talk about if you get in trouble, you don't want him with you. Like, they good to socialize with. You want to go to Applebee's, get you some artichoke dip, and hang out and talk, date a person. But if you get in a situation where you're being jumped, you don't want this individual with you. That's my Applebee's friend. That's what we're doing. He ain't my ride or die. That's my Applebee's friend. Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. All he does is talk. Until you give into the lies of the enemy. And he pulls you away from the flock. He takes you out. Go, go study how lions hunt. They want to get the prey away from the crowd. Get the prey alone. That way they have a better chance. And the word tells us there's four lies of the enemy. No one understands. You probably said that this week. Nobody understands me. That's a lie. Probably half the people in here understand what you're going through. You know what? On Revive, every Thursday night, there's a group of 100 people that can connect with each other because they know what each other's going through. You're not alone. Somebody understands. Hear me today. They understand what you're going through. Don't let the enemy lie to you about that. Second lie is no one cares. Nope. That's a lie. It's a roaring lie. No one cares. People do care. I know I care. But are you ready? I'm not a mind reader. If I was, I wouldn't be a preacher. I'd be a millionaire. Let me tell you what you're thinking at this moment. I'm not. I can't read your mind, but if you, if you tell me, hey, I'm going to struggle, or you text me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to link up with you. The enemy doesn't want you to think anybody cares about you so he can isolate you and make you lonely. That's a lie. And then the third lie is God's word's not true. Because if you don't believe the word of God, you have nothing to stand on. You have no absolute. In other words, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. If you don't believe the word is true, the enemy will devour you. Number four, the situation is hopeless. The enemy wants you to think there's no way out of what you're in. There's no way for you to get out of your condition. There's no, it's hopeless. You'll never be any better. You'll never be any different. That is a lie. There is still transforming power in the name of Jesus. Your situation is not hopeless. God can still do the impossible. You need to be delivered. He can deliver you. You need to be healed. He can heal you. You need to be restored. He can restore you. That is a lie from the enemy. You know what the kingdom looks like? Come here real quick, Brother Nate. I won't keep you up here for long. You know what the kingdom looks like? Just sit right there. Sit right there. Just sit. You can sit right there on that altar. Come here, Caleb. Come help me right quick. Come here, Zach. I want y'all to come back here. Robbie, come here real quick. Come here real, real quick. It's taking a little longer than what I did at 9 a.m. I want y'all to stand back here. You know what the kingdom of God looks like? Brother Tracy, you're going to be the devil. Not because you are. You're a good man. I want you to stand up. The devil, like a roaring lion, sees a man all by himself, isolated and alone. So he approaches that man, thinking that he has an easy prey to destroy. But the closer he gets, out of the shadows comes the body of Christ. What do you think the enemy's going to do when the body of Christ comes out of the shadows and said they're not alone? They're not by themselves. 
They're together. They're connected. They're not going to fight you by themselves. They got somebody to help pray when you come against them. They got somebody to help worship when you... Somebody better hear me now. It's time for the body of Christ to come out the shadows and say, you're not going to be by yourself. We are together. You see this? It's about community. I said it earlier. When you're weak, I've got to be strong, but I need you to do me a favor. Preacher, you get weak, I get weak. Sometimes I need to lay on a mat. I need you to carry me through the whole message. Today's one of those days. I need you. Preacher, you're doing good. I don't feel like I'm doing good because I'm tired. So I need you to carry me today. I need your support. But I promise you this. If you ever get weak, I'm going to be strong. Because I'm not going to let you lose this battle. But I need you to make a promise. You're not going to let me lose this battle as well. We need each other. The scripture is all about community. Leviticus 26, 12 through 13. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's us. He said, I want to be your God, but I need people. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Has anybody been brought out of anything? You are no longer to be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your head held high. Here we are today. God brought us out. My head's not down. It's up. God has done something in my life. He brought them out and they lived and worshipped him together in community. You see, deliverance is, the, is only the beginning of the journey. At some point, you got to become a carrier. It's, we all have been there. We all have been at a place to where we had to be carried. We all had to be there. Somebody had to bring us to church. Somebody had to pray for us and fast for us. And somebody had to worship when we didn't feel like worshiping. We wasn't delivered yet. But when you got delivered, that was only the beginning. At some point, you got to get off of your mat of do nothing. And you got to pick up your mat and you got to. Go get somebody else and you got to do for them what somebody done for you. It's the cycle of the kingdom. This is how it was when, when he delivered them. He organized over 2 million people. That's how great of a God he is. I can't organize 20 people. He organized over 2 million people into a coherent and orderly traveling community as they marched toward the promised land in their new identity. So I've got a picture the Israelite camp was laid out in a cross shape with three tribes grouped on each side of the tabernacle, which was situated in the middle. The Levites, who God chose to take care of the tabernacle, they would camp around the perimeter, around the tabernacle within the perimeter of the camp. They were set aside to care for the tabernacle and all its furnishings and everything in it. Also, there was three families within the Levites that were given different responsibilities when it came to move the tabernacle. The families and responsibilities were the sons of Merari, the Merarites, frames, columns, and pillars. You had the sons of Gershon or Gershonites, the curtains and the screens. And you had the sons of Koath or the Koathites, furniture and utensils. Now, the first two tribes, the Merarites and the Gershonites, God favored them, really. I say God favored them. He gave them wagons to carry all their stuff. They got to pull wagons. When the offerings was brought and the tabernacle was completed, the Gershonites were given two carts and four oxen. The Merarites was given four carts and eight oxen. But the Kohathites, he said, I'm not giving you no carts because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. They carried the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and the altars on poles rather than on carts. 
Brother William hit this last week. Our walk with God is not just something we can throw on a wagon and drag behind us. God is calling us to feel the burden and the weight of our calling. It's got to be personal. But here's the second part of this. Moving this tabernacle was much a task. You had the support stacks and everything inside the tabernacle that all had to be loaded up and carried. There were no way one person could do this. The probable number of people was 24 people. And four of those would be designated to just carry the Ark of the Covenant. You know how much the Ark of the Covenant weighed? 183 pounds. Now, I know you're looking at me and being like, that's lightweight. I'm not lifting 183 pounds. I'm just not. So they said, you know what? For the Ark of the Covenant, we're going to have four people that's going to carry it. If you got four people, that means that each one had to carry 46 pounds. And that's my kind of work day right there. 46 pounds. Now, here's the deal. Four priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, an even number. Four priests. Now, they could, they could put a little padding on their shoulder if they needed to. But here's the catch. L look, look at this right here. Come help me right quick, my poor guys. Help me early real quick, and I'll let you sit down, and we'll finish. I kept them up here the whole sermon at nine. There we go. Y'all four is perfect. I want y'all four to grab that. Grab it on the, don't grab it on the handle, grab it on the, yep. Look, now let's say, let's say that day Priest Joe decided he didn't want to show up and carry the Ark of the Covenant that day. So he, what happens? The glory's going to fall. Because it's meant to be carried by four men. If he doesn't show up to do his part that day, these men struggle. And if they touch the Ark of the Covenant, die. Dead. Thank, thank the Lord we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. So these four people were essential. Grab, grab it, of it, Caleb. Now let's say they're carrying 183 pounds. Let's say, let's say that these two was going this way, but these two said they want to go the opposite way. Where is the glory going? Nowhere. If we come to the house of God and we've got this group pulling this way and this group pulling this way, where's the glory going? It's not going nowhere. We're not going where the glory needs to go. We're working against each other. They had to be working in unison. They had to be marching the same direction. The greatest weapon the church has is not prayer. Oh, some of you just checked me off. It's not worship. The greatest weapon the church has is unity. There is nothing no more powerful than unified prayer and unified worship. Everybody working together. And when I talk about unified prayer, I can't be praying for God to add souls to the kingdom and you be praying for God to remove some people from the kingdom. I can't be praying for more chairs and you be praying for less chairs. I can't be praying for more parking and you praying for your parking. I need everybody to understand souls matter in the kingdom of God. We've got to pray, God, it's about souls. God, it's about discipleship. God, it's about more. Jesus' final prayer in John 17 is the only prayer that the church can answer. You know what he prayed? He didn't pray for their safety or their success or their happiness. He prayed that they would love one another. It's the only prayer that he ever prayed that we can answer. And Paul would go on to write this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We do not create unity in the church. 
we maintain unity. Unity is already created, so I do everything that I can within the body to make sure there is unity. And if we're going to work together, you know what our mentality has to be? God, we're taking the glory so sinners can be saved. God, we're taking the glory so that the church can be effective in our community. God, we're taking the glory so that we can continue to have unity and advance the kingdom of God to make a positive difference in this world. If you're here today and you're a guest, let me tell you something. You're at an imperfect church. I, I know I'll let you down again. I'm sorry. This family isn't perfect, but I can tell you what we are at the river. We're redeemed. I can tell you what this church is made up of, broken and flawed material that has been covered by the blood of the Lamb. We learn how to forgive one another. We learn how to love one another. We learn how to care for one another because none of us are perfect. Listen, y'all can set it down for a second. I'll have y'all come back up. Just be on guard. We're made up of imperfect people. And when you read Leviticus and Numbers, we're witnessing types and shadows of how God wants us to work together to carry his glory. After the death, the burial, the resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we witness the joining together of the body. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Aliens, but you are fellow, no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Proving again, there is no such thing as lone ranger Christians. There is no such thing as solitary saints or spiritual hermits. We need one another. The Bible says over and over, pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, greet one another, serve one another, teach one another, accept one another, honor one another, forgive one another, submit to one another be devoted to one another and bear the burdens of one another almost 12 4 through 5 just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function so it is with Christ's body we are many parts of the body and we all belong together so today if you feel unimportant unloved and insecure remember to whom you belong you are a member of God's family you are valuable you are not alone today you are not alone now let me go a step further and I won't preach much longer it's 25 minutes after I'm gonna try to quit at 30 to 35 all praise to God 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 4 the father of our Lord Jesus Christ God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in their you are missing the will of God if you only want to be comforted and you've never had the experience of comforting and loving somebody that needed to feel grace and mercy. At some point, I've got to carry the glory. God didn't call you to just come to church and ride in the wagon while everyone else carries the glory. No, ma'am, no, sir. The church would be out of balance if that's the case. He didn't call us just to be consumers. We've got to be servants. We've got to reach. We've got to love. We've got to help. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be. Revelations 1, 5 through 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us what? 
A kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Each of us have a role to play because it's a kingdom of priests. This isn't a kingdom where just the singers carry the glory or the preacher or the greeters. It's a kingdom where everybody carries the glory of God. Now, preacher, how do I carry the glory? Thank you for asking me that question today. In the Old Testament, the glory represented, was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. And then in John 1, we read that the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. Then Jesus would step in as literally representing and fulfilling what the Ark of the Covenant symbolized. He stepped in and brought that glory to earth. That's why we're baptized in Jesus' name. That's why we're filled with the Spirit is because He brought glory to us. I'm glad today that I have access to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. But Jesus would go a step further. He would step on the scenes and this is what He would say. Matthew 25, 35 through 40, for I was hungered. You gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when we saw thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink, when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee, unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of my. This isn't a soul winning scripture. It's about the kingdom of God. You've done it unto one of the least of these, my brother. And you have done it unto me. Do you know how to carry the glory of God in 2022? By carrying somebody that's down and out and broke. And doesn't have access on their own. They can't do it on their own. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Boy, the kingdom's looking different, ain't it, right now? God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Now, I'm going to get, this is where it's going to get, it's going to get a little bit tense for just a moment. Because it got tense for me. We have a definition of what space is. 12 feet out is the public space. That's where a lot of us like people to be, 12 feet out. That's where you wave, you can't reach out, shake their hands, like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Peace. See you next week. God bless. But then you got the 4 to 12 feet is the social space where we are most comfortable in communicating socially with people. And then you've got the 1.5 to 4 feet. That's our personal space where people are very close. It's growing uncomfortable now. But then you've got the 1.5 feet space. That's our bubble. Listen, some people don't know about the bubble. They don't. They don't. And to be honest, majority of churches, especially since the pandemic, we don't operate in the 1.5 feet space. Because you can't shake somebody's hand unless they're in the 1.5 feet space. So we come to church and we've, we've got a four feet social life. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. God bless like the President of the United States. How you doing? But we can't extend the right hand of fellowship if we don't let people in the 1.5. Now, you're hearing this from an introvert today. You're hearing this from somebody that I could, I could go out to eat by myself. I can hang out by myself. 
That sounds a little bit narcissistic, but it's really not. It's really. But when it comes to the kingdom, my personality doesn't matter. Because I can't reach for people if they're four foot out. I've got to bring them into my world. You can't carry the bed of somebody else that is down if they're four feet out. You've got to get within arm's reach. You've got to invite them in your home. You've got to cook a meal. You've got to take them out to eat. You've got to find out where they're at if we're going to be carriers. In our text, I, I, I can see these four men say, hey, look, he's paralyzed. He's on the bed. We want to keep him four feet out. How are we going to carry his bed four feet out? They had to get to where this man was. This man is paralyzed from the neck down, meaning his head, his mind is saying something that his body is not doing. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And I'm afraid that the head is speaking to the body and we're paralyzed, not doing what. He called us to love people. He called us to get to where people are at. He gets to where people are at. He has called us to get them out of despair and despair. And we can't do it at four feet. We've got to let people into our life. Well, preacher, I've been hurt. We all been hurt. Preacher, they let me down. We all been let down. I guarantee you, you're gonna let somebody into your 1.5 feet space, and they're gonna they're gonna talk about you. So what you gonna do? Lock up and not share the kingdom of God? Or are you going to do what the head of the church wants you to do? Get up and go find somebody else. Put them on a mat and get them to Jesus. Come on, put them on a mat and get them to Jesus. These four men decided that they were going to get their friend to Jesus. That number four is, is, is important because number four points to God's creation. Points to God's creative power, but also that number four, that number four, the fourth commandment is you, that you've got to keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. So the only way that we're a part of the four is if we keep God's day, God's day. Amen. I've got to be at church. And then people say all the time, they say this, they say, well, we don't we don't know if God's real. So you know what he did? God said this. He said he's going to give them he's going to give them four signs. Spoken in Hebrews that's going to tell them that he's real. Number one, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders. When we get together and we show up in the house of God carrying somebody that needs something from God, we're activating God's creative power to do something in their life that would have never been done unless we can get to where the people of God are and we can link up and then God's creative power begins to work. You can almost sense the urgency. Musicians, you can come. You can almost sense the urgency. Jesus had been to Capernaum before and they missed him. They got to get to Jesus. So they get their friend and they take him to Capernaum. And when they get there, there's so many people in the house. You can't even peek through the window. And they're looking at each other and they're like, man, what are, what are we going to do? And one of the friends have, has a bright idea. Hey, we can go to the roof. You got to have those friends that are just radical like that. You know, they're not, they not thinking like you're thinking. You got to have him. He said, let's go to the roof. The other three friends said, to the roof? He said, yeah, we're going to tear the roof off this place. They go get four ropes. Climb up to the top of that roof. Now, you got to understand, there are important people in this house listening to what Jesus is teaching. They're important. They're not doing nothing. They're just listening. <laughs> they didn't come to make a difference in anybody's life. They just wanted to see what Jesus was going to say. They didn't come to pray for anybody, lift up anybody, encourage him. But they just want to see what Jesus was going to say. 
These four men, they had a whole different mentality. And literally, they start tearing the roof. You got to go read about it. You got to go read how these roofs was made. And the Bible says as they tore the roof off, they would break it up. Breaking that clay up that held that roof together. You know why they were breaking it up? Because they didn't want it to be put back together. They were breaking up things that was keeping them from Jesus. They were breaking up things that say, you know what? Addiction is no longer going to keep us and my friend from Jesus. Come on. Hate and animosity and bitterness is no longer. I'm getting it out of the way. And not only am I going to get out of the way, I'm going to break it up. I'm going to make sure that it's never able to be put back together the way that it was. They don't care if they run the roof. They don't care if they upset the meeting. And they lowered this man down to Jesus. Can you imagine all of a sudden there's silence? Debris falling from the roof. And you look up and you see a man being lowered down on a bed. And Jesus looks at him and he says he saw their faith. God, when I get to that that throne of judgment, I want to hear you first say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But also I want to look back at people that I carried. And God, I want to look forward to people that carried me. Because I want you to know, I want you to see my faith like you did these four men. And he sees their faith. And he looks at the man. He said, your sins be forgiven. And there he interprets what all the religious are thinking. Who is this man says he forgives sin? He said, man, it's easier to forgive sin than it is heal somebody's body. You know what he tells the man? Now get up. Take up thy bed and walk. I want you to look at somebody one more time, and I'm done, and I want you to say function. Some of us has made a bed for our excuses. And we're comfortable in our incapabilities. And we're comfortable for people just to carry us and bring us. And we make excuses why we can't do anything for the kingdom of God. At some point, you've got to get out of the bed of your excuses that you've made. That you've been just, it's been keeping you isolated and alone. And you've got to take that bed and you've got to go say, hey, I've got a friend that's addicted and abound. And hey, so-and-so in the church has been down. Get on the bed. I want to help get you to Jesus. You know what this says? This says, I once was depressed, but now I've got joy. I once was empty, but now I'm filled. I once was on a bed, but now I have an empty bed. It started with a broken roof, and it ended with a miracle. It started with my act of faith, and now all of a sudden I've got his power. I'm a carrier of the gospel, a carrier of hope and victory. A famous evangelist named J. Wilbur Chapman once observed that the New Testament tells of 40 people each suffering from the same disease who were healed by Jesus. Of this number, 34 were either brought to Jesus by friends or Jesus was taken to them. He then noted of the vast number of people who find their way to Jesus today is because somebody reached for them. Next week is evangelism. Brother Carbo, come help me. Nate, come help me. Robbie, one more time. Zach, come help me. The World Trade Center crumbled to the ground. The 
dreadful day of September 11, 2001, more than 3,000 people died. They were buried beneath the rubble. Two of these individuals were Will Jimino and John McLaughlin. They were part of the authority of poise, and when the building failed, they went into an elevator shaft and was trapped below the debris. They went to the elevator shaft, and they were trapped. What they had no clue of, they didn't have any water. They were breathing smoke-filled air. Both Will and John had little hope of survival. Yet, what they didn't know is there was a man by the name of Dave, Dave Corns who had spent 23 years active in the Marine Corps. And he was watching the scene play out on television, just like the rest of us. But more than allowing it to merely trouble him, he decided to do something about it. He went to his boss and said, look, I won't be back for a while. You can fire me, but I won't be back. He went to the barber shop. He said, give me a high and tight haircut. He stopped by his home and he put on his military fatigues, hoping the uniform would allow him access into the blocked off area surrounding Ground Zero. He drove to Manhattan at speeds of 120 miles per hour. He arrived by late afternoon while rescue workers were being called off the wreckage pile because of danger. Dave was able to stay because of the cloud and credentials that came with his military uniform. Finding another Marine nearby, the two men walked the pile together seeking to save those that were buried. After an hour of searching, they heard a faint tapping on pipes. And they heard somebody yelling, Will and John had been trapped for nine hours by that time, completely incapable of working themselves free. Yet in midst of the rubble, a Marine who earlier that morning had been working on a spreadsheet, a Marine from Connecticut, went over to where they were at and found them. Of the 20 people pulled from the heap of, of rubble of the World Trade Center, Will Jamino and John McLaughlin were numbers 18 and 19. All because one man took off his suit and put on a uniform to rescue people. And here at the river, I could tell you, hey, we dress up. It don't matter how you dress. You come however you want to the house of God. It don't matter. T-shirt, blue jeans, none of that matters. I can promise you this, though. If we ever become a church... That we're so up here that we can't reach people. I'm out. Sometimes we got to take off the suit. And we got to go to where people are at. And we've got to put on a uniform. And we've got to go rescue people. That life has left them in rubble. They're broken. They don't know how they're going to get out. But there are more people that link up and say we'll carry the bed. Let's stand. Can I ask you a question without being offensive? When is the last time you thought about anybody but yourself? Ain't nobody called me in a while. Well, let me ask you a question, ma'am or sir, and I'm not being rude. When is the last time you called to check on somebody? Ain't nobody prayed for me in a long time. Let me ask you a question. You're missing the cycle. If you were comforted when you were in your affliction, you owe it to somebody else to comfort them while they're in their affliction. You've got to be a carrier of the gospel. So don't become so saved and sanctified that you can't reach for people. Listen, if dressing up makes you feel above people, wear a t-shirt to church every Sunday. I'd rather you be in a t-shirt praying for people than a suit and a tie acting like you don't want to touch anybody. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't, don't touch me. Don't, don't, 
You better let people get in that 1.5 feet space so that you can extend a hand and say, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a carrier of the glory. This is how I want to end this service today. We, we have altar calls every service. We're never going to stop, Brother Ralph. Never. I will never. I don't care how much this church grows. We have 800 people. We have an altar call. You know why? Because if you don't respond to the word, that seed falls on stony ground and the enemy takes it. Nobody's going to shake you. We got some people that like to shake, but I ain't going to let them shake you today. Nobody's going to slap you on the back of the head. But I tell you what we want today. I want the enemy to know there's a body that cares for each other. No matter where you're at, what walk of life, no matter what your ethnicity is, hey, this church needs every ethnicity. We need everybody. We need, we need a, if we're going to look like heaven on earth, we need every nation, every tribe. So this is what I want us to do before we come to the front. I want you to lay your hand on your heart. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're weary, you're tired, you feel alone, you're depressed. There's hope for you today. We want to help you. Maybe you're here and you're bound. Next week we'll talk about evangelism, but maybe you're here and you're bound today. There's a group of people here that know how to carry the glory of God. Maybe you're here and you've been content with going through the motions and you haven't invited anybody in. There's a challenge going to you today, ma'am or sir. You've got to be sincere about people. We're going down to the